future with my mask on, big hang time, I'm a bad star. Welcome back to Hangtime Headlines. I'm your host, Schwally. As always, like, comment, subscribe, follow us on the YouTube. Trying to run it up, so we really appreciate it. Not a full house today. DeJong is MIA, but we got Damien and Drew. How you boys doing? How's it going? Good to be here. What's good? What's good? A lot of topics today. Some NFL, some NBA, some MLB, but let's jump right into it. And this is an exercise that we're going to do for the first time. Going to talk about some coaches on the hot seat. And yeah, the season hasn't started yet, but that doesn't mean that coaches aren't very, very worried about their job. And we're going to start right here in town with Bill Belichick. I wasn't even going to include him, but there was a little debate going on pre-podcast before we hit that record button. So Damien, I'll let you jump right into it. Is Bill Belichick on the hot seat? No, no, Bill Belichick's not on the hot seat, but it raises a question at least last season did, can Bill Belichick win without Tom Brady? Is Tom Brady more important to the Belichick-Brady relationship than Bill Belichick? And a lot of people would say, oh, it's kind of a give and take. It's a 50-50 type of relationship. But Brady went and won a Super Bowl. He did have a huge team around him, a very talented team around him. But Belichick didn't make the playoffs for the first time in a while. So it leads you to think, which one of them is more important in their, that relationship? And obviously, Belichick's not in the hot seat, but it it does it it is kind of a chink in his armor. I'm with you, Damien. I don't think he's on the hot seat. If he goes seven and nine again, he's definitely on the hot seat going into next year, especially if Mac Jones does not look good. But I think that first point that you raised up is the most important one, which is like in my opinion. Bill Belichick has to pretty much win a Super Bowl for me to say it was a 50-50 split again. Like, if Bill doesn't win a Super Bowl and just retires or goes on to have, like, a decent career, you know, has a good regular season record or whatever, like, Brady was more than 50% of that. So I'd love to get your thought, like, where you currently stand right now with that percentage breakup, both you, Drew, and Damian. Yeah, I think it's probably like a – it's not drastically different. It's probably like a 60-40 split right now. Um, and I would say that I don't think he's going to be on the hot seat ever, actually. I, I think he pretty much is playing with house money. Like, he's done so much for this organization, and he's won so much that he's pretty much just, he's got tenure. He can he can be here for as long as he wants, and he's going to choose when he leaves, which is kind of ironic for the way that Belichick operates because most of his players don't get to choose when they leave. That being said, I think it is a 60-40 split because, like, he still had such a great impact on this organization. Obviously, like there's 21 other guys who play on the field uh, on each side of the ball, and then you got kickers and everything too. But like Brady went out and won a Super Bowl, like we said, and like right now he has that edge, and that does mean something. Well, I'm with you guys on the 60-40 split. However, I'm the opposite direction. Maybe even 65-35. You know, Tom Brady went and and won a Super Bowl with a absolutely loaded roster that was already set up with a good coach already set up to go and and win a Super Bowl they were pretty much up there with the favorites in turn in the beginning of the year in terms of Super Bowl favorites and Bill Belichick he had he, he dealt with a tough hand he had what six seven eight maybe nine players opt out because of COVID the most in the NFL there were some key injuries 
Cam Newton played awfully, and you know, after having to deal away the guy that he wanted, Garoppolo, he didn't really have a backup plan. I know, Shirley, you always talk about that, and that screwed him a little bit. I just think after one year, it's way too quick to react and say that Brady was like the bigger thing or the bigger piece of that dynasty we take a break from this podcast to give a huge shout out to our sponsor dsp betting if you want to get into sports betting or you're tired of losing on your bets follow at dsp betting on instagram that's at dsp underscore betting at dsp underscore b-e-t-t-i-n-g on instagram for some quality picks he's a very transparent sports handicapper that does all the research for you he gives great advice and picks he posts all of his results, win or lose. If you need some help building your sports betting bankroll, send him a message on Instagram. Stop losing and start winning with DSP betting. And then also that, yeah, Brady is one of 22 guys on the field that Belichick is putting together that roster. And, you know, Brady has to lead the team. He has to, you know, do his thing on the field. But when you're the coach putting together the roster, putting together the schemes, especially the defensive schemes, which Brady has nothing to do with, I think that the coach is so much more important. And also, I agree with you, Damian, that he is absolutely not ever really on the hot seat. He's pretty much able to leave when he wants to. I think that that brings up an interesting point, though, is that do you ever think he will want to leave? Because maybe if you see a couple of bad seasons, the fans in New England are going to be clamoring for him to be gone. And why the heck would he stick around when he could maybe go, what if the the Browns job opens up and he goes back to Cleveland to coach Baker Mayfield? That's a better roster. There are definitely options and teams that would love to have Bill Belichick and their fan bases might be more thankful than the New England fan base is currently. I think there's a better chance of Bill Belichick coaching in the PLL for like the Cannons Lacrosse Club or one of those teams than him coaching another team in the NFL to be honest. I think like he he could pot like I think if anything, like he would just walk away from So everything. I don't I don't think it's gonna happen because if I personally like I said, I think Bill Belichick was more to do with it and I think he is going to be successful. But like Lucas was saying, if he has another seven to nine season, then what if following that he oh, well he can't possibly have a seven to nine season. If he has a seven and ten season and then following that has like a five and twelve season or whatever, New England isn't happy. Tom Brady goes and wins another Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. It's very clear that Brady was, you know, the one who created the dynasty. You you think Belichick would yeah, I guess he would probably just call it quits at that point, right? Yeah. I, I think he would But I mean, he'd maybe he's competitive away. enough where he's like, I have to go prove it with another team and like show that I can do it without Brady. Because I don't think he's done yet. He's still got another decade in the league, I bet. You can you still think like, another you can, decade? Dude, you can, t- you can tell he's still got that like competitive fire. Oh, so and many! All it, ta- all it takes is him to get like a nasty team, and then he's a hundred percent back in it. Fair enough. So many interesting points. Number one, you guys know that like Bill Belichick is quoted for saying he doesn't want to be one of those coaches coaching like till he's old, past seventy. And he's come back on that quote. He said, like, maybe I didn't know what I was talking about back then. But he is literally quoted as saying, when I'm 70, I better not be coaching. And now he's 70. So, like, another decade would be craziness. He's 70 right now? 69. Nice. Oh, he's not going another decade then. I take that back. But 75, 76, dude, I wouldn't – depending on health, of course, all like that all all matters. But, I mean, I just think it's going to be – it's hard to to put the – 
it's hard to put the pen down and, and retire if you're Belichick. Especially when you're chasing Shula. I think that's the other aspect of it too, right? Is that like, it's probably going to take him another four or five years to catch up to the Shula and the win total. And you know that like Bill Belichick has a big time rivalry with Dan Shula. Or is it Dan Shula? Shula. With Don Shula. Like that dates back. That goes back a couple, years and years and years. Yeah. They like adamantly do not like each other. So in terms of just his competitiveness, something you were bringing up, Drew... I think that Bill is definitely going to try and push that envelope. Where I am going to push back a little bit is that, like, okay, I agree with your point that it's kind of unfair to base your entire opinion off the Brady-Bill point after one year. Like, it's only been one year. We've seen one season. Bill Belichick's well, when, roster was horrible. When, when the rosters are so vastly different. If they're trotting out the same rosters, sure, go ahead, compare them. The... Patriots roster was maybe bottom five in the NFL, bottom ten, I'll give you. And but especially with the Kobe guys out, it was awful. And the the Buccaneers might have had the best roster in the NFL, top three. Yeah, I agree. It's tough to make a direct comparison like that. But or else, like, what am I gonna do? Just like not talk about it for years and years and years. Like well, today, wait, wait, no, 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 no. It, one year. It's been one year. It's fair, but saying, like we I'm have saying, a podcast saying, to do today. No, we got to no, no, talk no, no, about no, the topic not, today. As not, of today, based on last year. Where are you at? But and the thing I is, too, we've seen Belichick before without Brady as a head coach. Yeah, but that's that. That was twenty years ago. You haven't. Yes, but like you weren't we, you weren't born. Okay, but what I'm what you were we're talking years about. Old when that what, what we're talking about <laughs> is Belichick's career as a whole. Why can't you compare that? Well, he's I mean, a head he's coach, also, right? He was also well as a head coach. He wasn't great, but as a defensive coordinator, he was fantastic. Okay, but we're talking about that. him as a head coach. Yeah, I don't think... Belichick they, the head coach versus Tom Brady the quarterback. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you could, Like, that's a whole different era of football, a whole different... That's two when, decades ago. He was 40 years old, 45, 50. Like, that... I don't know. That's such... Uh, once again, just a wild comparison. You can't, you can't... It's not like you can't talk about it. I'm just saying you can't, like, compare that and be like, oh, this is but, why Belichick but is we, better than Brady. But like, we have to. You can't to. say that. Yet. We have to because their, no, their relationship their relationships span 20 years itself. Their relationships yeah. span multiple eras and multiple decades. So, like, to say that we can't compare Belichick from back then or use it in our argument now, you can't. I'm not saying that. You, like, those things have, they're not mutually exclusive. So I basically think, like, either way, we have a podcast to do today. Like, if we're going to talk about a comparison, it's stupid if I'm like, hey, guys, tune in in three years when I can give you a decision about Bill Belichick. No, what, so, real quick, real quick, real quick. That's, yeah, but you're, you're twisting my words to try and make no. me sound like I'm saying something well, you're, stupid. Well, what, what, what are you saying? Not, you said we can't compare it after last I'm year, not right? Saying, I'm not saying you can't. I'm not saying you can't talk about it for three years, dude. That would be retarded. Like, don't act like you think that's what All I'm right. saying. You're saying I'm you can't saying, talk about it today, I, no, no, though, no, no, right? no. I'm not saying you can't talk. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying that you can't, sit, like, sit there and say that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady were, you know, had absolutely anything equal with this year and that, you know, Tom Brady got this huge upper hand because of he won the Super Bowl and Belichick. Like, there, it was a COVID year. There were players that weren't in. Belichick had a horrible roster. There was no quarterback in New England. Cam Newton was horrible. The defense was bad. It, it, there were so many different things that went into it that I just don't think it's fair to say that you know Brady has you know won it. That he's he, he's the reason why. 
No, there's still the there's still there. time, and last year is like a very flawed comparison. But if you have to judge based off last year, which is like again the most recent year where Brady and Bill were split. If I don't want to go back to like Cleveland when Tom Brady wasn't even in the NFL and compare Bill Belichick and Cleveland to Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Bucks, that feels a little more outlandish than Bill Belichick last year versus Tom Brady last yeah. year. No, it's but all outlandish. It leads me to my question: If the Pats, you know, even if they don't. Leads me to my question, which is, Pat's roster this year, no excuses, right? No excuses. You just spent the most amount of money in free agency. You drafted a quarterback in the first round. And part of the reason the Patriots were so bad last year is, yeah, they had some players missing with COVID. But as you mentioned, Drew, the roster was garbage. And that falls on Bill Belichick. He's the one who drafts the players. He's the one who signs the players. He's the one who manages the roster. So if the roster is garbage, it's not like he can blame the GM and say, oh, you brought in these players. He's the GM. You know, so I think that's where there is like some slight like issues where it's like, Bill, you kind of did this to yourself. Like, yeah, there's all these excuses, but you played a major role in drafting poorly over the last five years. And I think like the only other point I want to talk about is that I think there's a lot of something we talked about. I think it was last week. Hindsight bias, where it's just like people look at the Bucks roster after that Super Bowl and are like, man, loaded roster, going to win the Super Bowl. And it's like, I remember all offseason hearing that Tom Brady wasn't going to win a Super Bowl in Tampa. Then I remember them starting off the year kind of eh, getting murdered by the Saints and everyone saying, oh, Tom Brady's not going to win a Super Bowl. Then I remember them going in the playoffs and everyone saying, oh, Bucks are not going to win a Super Bowl. I remember him playing Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, people saying, Bucks aren't going to win a Super Bowl. I remember the Super Bowl itself when he's going up against Pat Mahomes and people are saying, oh, Tom Brady's not going to win a Super Bowl. And Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl, and now everyone's like, oh, the Bucks were loaded. Tom Brady was no, going to win the Super no, Bowl. No, 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 that's unfair. Before the season, people were so. saying the Bucks were loaded because they were, they were signing. They were signing everyone. They literally they signed. And when you put a team together with names, like obviously some of these guys are past their peak, but like and Dominican yeah. Sue, Lashawn McCoy, you add Leonard Fournette yeah, later on, age thing. and, and then you age already well. have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Like all of these guys mixed together, you also have OJ Howard. Like. All of these guys on one team, like going into the season, people were like, "Yo, this is a super team. This is like when it's similar to when like the Eagles added like all those guys or the Rams back in the day." Like, and everyone was like, "Super team, super team, super team." And then yes, there was a little fall off of that when you know they started off a little slow, and they did get beaten into the ground by the Saints. But then they came back and they they killed the Packers. And people were starting to get back on the hype train. And then they started to just pick up steam. And next thing you know, they're in the Super Bowl. So, like, I think hindsight bias, yes, is, like, it's, you know, it's easy to say that, oh, this team was loaded. This team was stacked. And they, they were Super Bowl favorites the whole time. But, like, maybe they weren't Super Bowl favorites at the beginning. But they definitely were seen as, like, a super team at the beginning. I think you can call them a super team of sorts, but I would even argue that I think the Saints had a better roster going into last year. I mean, you look at that offense, you got Kamara, Michael Thomas, loaded weapons, Cook was coming yeah. back, the defense was strong, Drew Brees, but, you knew the consistency. Like, I think, yeah, they were trying to build a super team, but there were a lot of doubts, and I think a lot of people didn't even think they had the best roster in their division. I mean, people forget, too, they're like, oh, Devin White, monster. It's like, Devin White hadn't popped off like he did last but, year yet. Like, but, all of... All of their their secondary, like it was entirely new rookies, young yeah. secondary. Like there were a lot of holes Didn't in that Devin roster. Did Devin White win the rookie of the year? Uh, Nick Bosa did. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Niners, God, yeah. He was gross. He had a nasty year. 
I think they were right there with the Saints. I, I'll give you. But that. He had, he, dude, Devin no, White no, no. had one sec. Sorry, yeah. Devin White had two and a half sacks. Like he was. He, How many tackles? Ninety-one compared to nine and one forty. Yeah. Five QB hits compared to sixteen. So it's just I, a massive jump. Yeah, I, I I think that they were right there with the Saints, though. I think that the only roster that you could put well above them was the Chiefs, who had their own question marks with their secondary that turned out way better than we thought. But the thing is, like with the Bucks roster, was it? It's not that like their roster was considered significantly better than anybody else's roster. It's the fact that they were signing all these guys out of the blue, like this, like you mentioned the Saints roster, like. All those guys had been with the Saints. They're coming back. It wasn't like a new team. It's like the Patriots this offseason signing all of these guys, spending all this money in free agency. That's why it was like, oh, this is a super team. It's not because their team was significantly better. That's fair. And I'm going to kind of pose a question based off of that, Damien, which is that, like, we see it all the time, right? Like, yeah. you mentioned the Eagles. They've done it, I think, twice now, where it was early with Andy Reid and then coming out that Super Bowl with Nick Foles just go all in on free agency. Rams, too. You see, all these teams pay big money for free agents. It never works out. It never works out. And especially in that first year, that first year, nothing good happens. Chemistry, it's a mess. And so Tom Brady goes to this team with all of these new faces, an entirely new system, an entirely new coach, like, entirely new roster, and people are like, oh, it's a super team. And it's like, well, if you look at the history of the NFL, that has never worked until this man got there. So, like, doesn't he deserve some credit for that, at least, too? God, yeah. He was in... I mean, he's possibly the best winner in NFL history. Like, the way that he brings together a team is unlike, you know, anyone else. Which, then, to go pack on it, when you give him a team like that, he can do ridiculous things with it. But, I, I mean, yeah, that, that just speaks even further volumes to the fact that Tom Brady, despite, like, that he might not be the most talented quarterback, he's certainly, you know, the GOAT. And I guess, like, the last thing on this topic I want to hit on is, like, is Bill Belichick's offseason this year equivalent to what the Bucks did last year? Because he spent way more money. He probably brought in more players. He's trying to load up the roster. He's I trying to prove a point. No, like, it's not. Because the Bucks had their key players all in place, yeah. And I think they were just missing quarterback, and then, like, uh, you know, they plugged in a bunch of veteran guys that ended up playing well with, like, they, they had a solid young core of guys. I think the Patriots aren't quite at that level, but it's, it, it's like, similar enough where Belichick brought in enough names that the team should be successful. I still think the one major thing, though, is that this team could be nasty, and the quarterback play could still absolutely destroy this team and the, and they can miss the playoffs if Cam Newton or Mac Jones doesn't show up and take the spot. Yeah, I, I think... How Brian Hoyer can show up and take the spot. We just need a quarterback. Yeah, the difference between Bill this offseason and the Bucks last season is that the Bucks at least had like some type of skeleton to their team. Like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were there, OJ Howard were there, but... The Patriots have had nothing last year. Like these guys, like Jonu Smith and like Nelson Aguilar and all the uh, Kendrick, Bourne, Kendrick Bourne are coming Hunter in. Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry. These guys are 
going to like lead the line. These are the starters. The guys that the Bucks were signing weren't necessarily guys who were going to be starters. Like LaShawn McCoy wasn't your number one running back going into the season. No, before Net was, and they signed him, and Gronk was a starter, and Sue was a starter. They signed some starters, yeah, bro. But like not as high profile. But yeah. No, but like. I don't know if Gronk. I don't think you consider Gronk a starter. Yeah. I think you could like he might have started, but like I don't think you consider him like going into the season. You don't expect him to start. I think OJ Howard is your number one there going in, and then it's like Fournette thing was a shocker. Yeah, Fournette was kind of just it just kind of worked out because the Jaguars yeah. got rid of him. Like, so those types of things are are different in this scenario. Like, we have nobody. What happened? Oh, Fournette went back, huh? He's back in town. Yeah, yeah. They brought everybody back. They brought everybody back. Yeah. I wonder so that I wonder how that's gonna work out. Yeah, they're literally bringing back the. Ex- Does that put an unfair expectation on them that they have to win the Super Bowl if they're bringing back literally the exact same team? Because they shouldn't have that expectation. Like it's it's tough to repeat. I think it does because the Chiefs pretty much did the same thing, brought back the same team, and they were expected to win the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, they got smoked in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And they lost because of injuries to their offensive line, I would argue. And maybe not, but I think that played a big role. And injuries I, often play a role in those teams trying to repeat. So I think with the Bucks, like, yeah, they're expected to win a Super Bowl. But if Brady goes in the Super Bowl, he's missing his right and his left tackle. Are we expecting them to win that game? No. I think another key thing is that when teams bring back their whole entire roster, the other top teams are able to, you know, adjust a little bit to their roster because – you know, how much is going to change when you're bringing back the entire same roster? You're throwing out the same starters. I mean, they didn't even... Who, who was their draft pick? In the, they took some, some linebacker. Kyle and then, Trask. And then their second pick was Kyle Trask, yeah. So they're not even really bringing in any impact uh, linebackers. You know, they had a long season going all the way to the Super Bowl. It's going to be a tough year for the Bucs, I think. But, yeah, if anyone Sheesh. can repeat, it's great. Sheesh, dude. I know it's hot out, but that's a fucking hot take. <laughs> it's hotter in Tampa, baby. It's a bleeping hot take. <laughs> I think the only thing we've missed on in this entire... Buccaneers are going 0-17. You've heard it here first. <laughs> Just wait for that take to get exploded. <laughs> the first week of the season. <laughs> I think... Like nothing. The, wait one second. Yeah, you're good. Oh, nothing's nothing's <laughs> funny. <Remember it. laughs> nothing's funnier than the Jaguars tweeting out last season after they go. One, they started one and zero. They said undefeated, and they proceeded to lose every game <laughs> for the rest of the season. Every single yeah. one. <laughs> so fucking and got so Trevor. freaking funny. Do you know who they beat? Wait. By the way, this is a good one because I know who the Colts, bro. Can you believe the Colts? Lost the Jaguars week one. That was like a wow. solid team, good defense, like all around, like impressive. Philip Rivers. That's like a very like <laughs> that's a very like disappointing name to hear. I thought it was gonna be somebody like, I thought it was gonna be like the Jets or something. That's why the Jets lost the number one pick. <laughs> well, the Jets were like zero and twelve. Yeah, then they and then they won, won that game twice, against the right? Raiders. <laughs> no, they yeah, lost actually, that game against the Raiders, bro. Remember Derek Carr threw that crazy game-winning touchdown with, like, literally 10 seconds left because they had the zero blitz and then they fired their defensive coordinator after? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then people were like, yo, are you, why are you guys actually tanking? Yeah. They literally blitzed everybody but three safeties on, like, fourth and eight from the 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Greg Williams, what a guy. Greg Williams is, like... Like he's the like, my thing in pro sports is always like, how do these guys keep jobs for so long, or not keep jobs but get jobs after a while? It's like, well, you weren't good there, 
and then they just keep hiring you. Yeah. Like, after, you over and over. Like, Mike D'Antoni Frank. is mentioned in every NBA head coaching job, and he's literally never won a title. <laughs> and it's like, what... Jeff Van Gundy hasn't coached in, like, 15 years, and they're like, Jeff Van Gundy's in this... Uh, Why not? Coaching, <laughs> coaching title. And going back to Greg Williams real quick, it's like, when he called that zero blitz, I remember looking on Twitter... And there were a bunch of highlights of him doing, like, the exact same thing on the Browns and on other yeah. teams. And they were like, no, this is just what Greg Williams does. Like, it's his style of offense. And it's like, well, if the man zero blitzes when they're clearly passing deep and has all of these highlights of him allowing chunk plays, how is he still getting hired to be a defensive coordinator? Dude, he had one good season with Mountie Gate, and that was it. <laughs> he was part of Mountie Gate? Yeah, he was, the, he was the leader. He was the defensive coordinator? He was the leader. He was like, if you knock this guy out, you will, you'll get paid. Yeah. Maybe that's actually the key to the zero blitz, is you got to motivate the players blitzing with a lot of money. <laughs> Speaking of coaches, though, like, the final thing I want to mention about the Tampa Bay Bucks, and this one, whatever you guys say, in my opinion, big-time hindsight bias. Bruce Arians was looked at as kind of a fool going into this year. Huck it, like, deep. No risk it, no biscuit, like, has literally never won. I still think he's honestly a terrible coach. The offense that they ran was, like, pretty god-awful through the first 10 weeks of the season. Brady was just pretty throwing deep balls. And then it felt like later in the year, Brady took over a little more. Like, the short route started to come back. It was more of, like, a Tom Brady mixed with a Bruce Arians offense. But I think, like, that's someone who's benefited immensely from this Super Bowl because Bruce Arians was kind of looked at as a joke before this. Well, I got to I gotta go back and listen to some of our old recordings because I can swear to God that I was saying that Bruce Arians was a great hire down in Tampa Bay. And I remember you telling me that Bruce Arians definitely didn't have, like, this sterling like record and I would I thought that he did. No, like, I, I just assumed he was a good coach. I back Bruce Arians. He he's I had a solid career. Yeah, he was good. Really? I liked well, him with yeah. the Cardinals a lot. Dude, with the he Cardinals did Carson he, Palmer with did. Carson he turned Carson Palmer yeah. into like a NFC championship quarterback. And they I made it to a conference championship. They lost to the 15 and 1 Panthers. Uh, uh, they had a first like round by, won one game, and then lost. Yeah, to the 15 yeah. and 1 Panthers. He's just a very likable guy, too. And I think that that yeah. fits in perfectly with that team. That's what they needed that head coach. Someone he who also, let Brady do his thing. And, and He was also of, the interim for the Colts when Chuck Pagano got cancer and they made the playoffs that year. And he was also the OC with the Steelers back in the day when they were super successful with Ben Roethlisberger. When he has a, I mean, to be fair, I mean, you could have also put like, literally anybody in that coaching spot, and they probably would have been fine. Yeah. Well, that's that's also not. I mean, well, here's the thing: (laughs) the majority of pro sports, the majority of pro sports as a coach is just to not screw it up. Yeah. That's the like, if you're like to be a good coach, you just have to not screw it up. Eric Spolstra not doesn't have to be the greatest coach to coach LeBron, Chris Bosh, and D Wade. You know, like. That's easy. Yo, rogue question. You think it was more Eric Spolstra or Pat Riley in Miami? Because I feel like Eric Spolstra was like a figurehead for Pat Riley when LeBron was down there. No, no, I don't think so. I think, think so? I no. Eric Spolstra is like a like a guy that Pat Riley really trusts because like he's been there since he was like around our age. Like, he was there from a really young age as, like, an analyst, and he worked his way up the ladder and, like, became the head coach. So, like, I, I don't think so. I, I think he had a lot of control. Also, in that that run of that big three era, like, they started really slow, 
at the at the beginning, and everyone was saying, "Oh, Eric Spoelstra should get fired," and Pat Riley stuck by him, and he wrote him, and now look at him; he's still the head coach, and he's like one of the most like respected coaches in the league. So I think it is. I think it's Spoelstra. I think Spoelstra is good. I just think like he either is a an incredible listener and just loves Pat Riley and listens to his advice. Or Pat Riley has some sort of control over Spolstra because, like, that consistency, as you said, is, like, almost too good to be true, in my opinion. Like, the Heat have had some really down years and no one gets rid of Spolstra. They've had some good teams that haven't won championships and no one gets rid of Spolstra. And I think, like, Pat Riley, even though he isn't the coach and he is, like, this executive that kind of just hangs up in the booth in Miami, I think he does a little more coaching and a little more on the court and talks to the players a little more than, like, people give him credit for. I think... Or I just think Pat Riley's not stupid enough to fire a head coach every single year like some of these others, other executives are. Like, some of the stupidest things you can do is just fire a head coach after one bad season because everyone's going to have a bad season here and there. That's just sports. And the people who fire bad head coaches after one year are people who have never been involved with sports. They're the executives who are just like, oh, you didn't win, there's no results, you're done. Well, is huge, too. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, if... Eric Spolster has had some down years, but he's also had some really good years with teams. He's overachieved with teams that, like, should not have been as good as they are. And it goes back to, like, your original point that especially in basketball, I mean, I think football coaching is a little more than not screwing it up. You still have to do a lot. But in basketball, at the very least, bro, like, it's really about just not messing it up. And the second, like, as a franchise, you're just going coach to coach to coach, like, that empowers the players to say, oh, it's not my fault we lost, it's this yeah. coach's fault, get rid of him. Dude, the NBA is the biggest, like, the most popularized pickup game in the world. It's just, like, if you can get the most good players on your team and just be like, here's a basketball, go score it, those guys are so good, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter what you say to them. Like, it's the same thing, like, with soccer, like, you just tell them to go out in the field, do whatever, and, you know, you can tell them as much as you want, but in the game, like, certain things are going to happen. You have to react, and players at that level are just so good, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Your coaching is just pretty much, like, knowing when to make changes. Like, if a guy is cold, get someone into sub for him. If a guy is, you know, tired or, he's you know, he's been playing a lot recently, you know, start another guy over him. That's all it is. It's nothing. It's nothing crazy. Like, football is different. Football is, like, so much planning, so much strategy. You know, like, we talked about the Bucks bringing all their guys back. Like, teams are going to be prepared for the Bucks because they pretty much know the system that they're going to run, the players that are going to play in what schemes and what systems and all that type of stuff. Like, that's, that's easy for a coach to realize, and that's so – that's why coaching is so important in football. Dude, it's so refreshing to hear, like, an actual D1 soccer player saying that, like, soccer coaches aren't the most important thing in the world. Because I'd be asking soccer players all the time, like, yo, what does this coach do? Like, tell you to run faster? Like, and I know there's probably a lot more that goes into it, but I think the comparison to basketball is a really good comparison. It's the one I've been trying to make where it's like, yeah, a coach is helpful. And I'd argue that even sometimes a coach is, like, you know, more than just, like, sitting on the sidelines because, like, Celtics, this past year, chemistry was horrible. We had talent. Like, yeah. some of that falls back on the coaching. But, like, regardless, like, I think in soccer and basketball, sports where it's just about, like, the athletic talent on the field, you have yeah. a LeBron, a Ronaldo, a Messi, you're going to yeah. be good. How much does the coach actually do? Yeah, that's the thing. It's, like, in sports like that, any type of sport that you don't you don't run set plays in, it's pretty much just, like, the coach is there 
to make sure things don't go wrong. So it's like just to put you in the right spots to make sure you can succeed the best you can possibly do. So like, so Jose Mourinho said it like he's one of the best soccer coaches of all time. Like he's not going to teach and he's not going to teach Cristiano Ronaldo anything. He's not going to go out there and teach Cristiano Ronaldo how to hit a free kick into the top corner. Like, that's not his job. His job is to make sure that when all 11 guys step on the field, they know what their job is. You know, like, he doesn't coach players. He coaches teams, he says. And it's like, that type of thing. It's just like, you just make sure that those players are ready to play as one team and you'll be fine. Like, that's what coaching is in those seven games. I, I would probably say, like, I don't know a lot about hockey, but hockey's probably in there as well. Like, any type of free-flowing sport where it's kind of like a back-and-forth type of action, like, it's pretty much just putting guys in the right position at the right time. It's not really about, like, oh, run this, play at this time, or do this at this time, because it's not, it's not that structured. Drew, you think baseball falls, like, somewhere in the middle there? So I actually think that baseball and hockey, I think, would be pretty similar, where they do a little bit more, because I think that hockey is, is more hectic, obviously. Like, you, do, you have a line change every 40 seconds to a minute and then the defensive line changes are what two to three minutes so it's you know there's a little bit more going on and yeah there's also a big key difference between you know coaching and and teaching players because then also in professional sports the coaches you know they, they they coach but they don't even entirely train and structure the players because there are set coaches for each position group that do that and so yeah it, it is a big difference between football where you're calling plays and you have to come up with plays and you know I think one thing that's important for all coaches is watching the other teams film and making sure that your team is prepared for who they're gonna they're gonna face but yeah it's it's really in soccer basketball you you just don't want to mess up the chemistry and what you've got going on and going back to your point with the NBA coaches that when you're constantly cycling through coaches it, it it's tough to you know also get a team to stick around for a exactly. while and and really build chemistry with the coach with the team with the whole organization. A couple other coaches on the hot seat: Matt Nagy in Chicago. This is a name that a lot of people are talking about, and I think he kind of saved himself by drafting Justin Fields. He like gave himself an extra year because if Fields just shows potential, he shows promise in that Nagy offense. I don't think you can just let Nagy go, especially when Fields is a rookie. Like you're gonna bring in a rookie have him work with one coach, look half decent, and then transition to another coach, we know that's not going to work. So I think Matt Nagy has kind of saved himself a little bit with the Justin Fields draft pick, but if it goes bad, he's out of there, like, without a question. Like, people have been talking about him for a couple of years now. Fields plays poorly, Bears are 4-13 and 13 or whatever, GG's. Well, I don't even know if he saved himself. The 11 teams who picked in front of him saved him. Uh, he just got kind of lucky that Fields kept falling, Good on him for moving up and securing Fields because he was sitting there and there were a lot of teams that I think should have moved up to grab Fields at that spot that did not. You know, I agree I agree with you that I think he he probably has two years. However, one thing I will say is that if you see an offensive coordinator or a quarterback coach, something like that really bond with Justin Fields and the Bears overall not having a great year, you could see someone stepping up. But, yeah, we were just talking about coaching, keeping the same coach around, especially with young players. I think that Nagy's still got some potential there, but 
his window is closing. The hot seat is definitely, you know, heating up for him. I think the seat got hotter with the draft pick of Justin Fields. I think, as you kind of hit on the end there, Shoy, is like, when you bring in this quarterback, you're pretty much saying, this is my guy, I'm riding with him, and however the ship goes, it's going to be, I'm going to go down with it. And if they don't play well this year, nay, he's done, dude. He's done, because... He's. This is now his second quarterback. Most coaches and GMs get, you know, two if they're lucky, three quarterbacks, to see what they're capable of. And he didn't win with Mitch, and now he's got a chance with Justin Fields, to do something. But he didn't want Mitch, so that's the big difference, but right? That's. But that's the reason why this has put him on the hot seat, because if Justin Fields doesn't work out, then it's like okay, you got your guy, and it didn't work out. So you can't. You have no excuse for not succeeding. I, I disagree with you that this put him on the hot seat. I think that this maybe helped him a lot in terms of being on the hot seat. That now he's got a weapon that you know. Yeah, the pressure is now on him, and that's going to be a little bit tougher. But he also has a star quarterback, and I think that regardless of whether he drafted Justin Fields or not, the Bears weren't spectacular last year. If he's going into this year and still has a kind of eh year, are the Bears really gonna? You know, stick with him. It's not like Nagy's this brilliant Sean McVay mind that they're yeah. they're begging to keep. Well, my thing is, I think he extended his window because if you keep Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, I think Matt Nagy was pretty much piped. It was done. It was over. Like they weren't gonna make the playoffs. They weren't gonna go on a run, regardless of whether Mitch is your guy or not. Like they're gonna fire Nagy. They're gonna get rid of Mitch. They're gonna clean house. But it's just like now that you have that rookie QB, I think really important point that Drew mentioned that I'd like to hit on here is that like Matt Nagy does run the offense like it's his offense he's I think the offensive coordinator if I'm not mistaken and if he's not the offensive coordinator he's highly involved in that offense so if Justin Fields does like Nagy I think that buys him time and even if Justin Fields doesn't start right away and he comes in and looks half decent and the Bears finish eight and eight eight and eight with Justin Fields looking good and speaking positive and speaking and speaking positively about Matt Nagy is a lot different than 8-8 eight and eight with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. They will not finish 8-8. Eight eight. I'll they put will, any amount of money. Yeah, we'll guarantee it. Better or worse? 9-8 maybe? Maybe 8-9 eight 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 possibly. 8-8-1. Eight, eight, God one. damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's good reason. Yeah. <laughs> 17 games to I go hate F themselves, bro. I, I don't, see, I, all right, I don't want to say that I hate it because... It's an extra regular season game, and more football is, is better. I like that. And they've removed two preseason games. But it's just going to take a while to get used to. And I don't like that it messes with the record books, too. Yeah, there's something about, like, 13-3 and three just sounds right. 14-2 and two sounds right. Like, but a it good old-fashioned 12-4 and four division To be fair, winner. it sounds right because that's, like, the way it has always yeah. been. Yeah. And it's now a 19-week season, too, right? Is there two buys, or is it still one buy? What, two buys? I don't know. I hope they added a second bye. I think there bro. are two buys now. Sneaky only one bye week, bro. One bye week? Which is kind of atrocious. Two other coaches who I think are definitely on the hot seat. Very debatable with Bill. Matt Nagy, eh, some room here or there depending on how the season goes. Mike McCarthy, Dallas Cowboys. I thought he was on the hot seat last year, to be honest with you, before Dak went down. Dak injury might have saved his coaching job because all of a sudden, no quarterback, no expectations. But if the Cowboys are a disappointment this year, half of it is like, 
yeah, Mike McCarthy isn't that great a coach and hasn't shown that much, and the defense has kind of been a mess, and you know that the offense is good, and you know that the offense is good. But the other half of it is that I think Jerry wants a ring, and he's going to keep cycling through coaches till he can get know. one. To be fair, the Cowboys are pretty much what you talk about in terms of keeping coaches. They don't like to change coaches. I like McCarthy could stick around for 15 years and never make the playoffs, and I wouldn't be shocked. He could be gone next. I, I, I kind of would be shocked to see him go soon, to be honest. I, the Cowboys seem to usually stick to their plan. They've got a talented roster, and I think they will be good this year also. I don't think they will be as good as they could be because Mike McCarthy is not a spectacular coach or even an above-average coach, but I think he'll. I think he's still got a, a, at least a solid few years left. Oh, I mean... We're talking about a Cowboys team that would have ran away with that division last year if Dak doesn't get hurt. Like, he, he was leading the league in passing when he got hurt. A week later, he didn't play, obviously, because he was injured. He was still leading the league in passing. Like, he was having a ridiculous season. So, like, to think about it like that, like, the NFC East was the worst uh, division in the in the league last year. The Redskins and Eagles and Giants were all fighting to make sure, like, they all didn't make the playoffs. And somehow the red i mean the football team but i i don't know i i think the cowboys will be good this year but i definitely think he's on the hot seat like mike mccarthy like what is this year three at this point two bro sneaky oh okay never mind never mind let me run it back mike mccarthy mike mccarthy's not on the sucks, hot. Dude. dude weren't they horrible last year like i remember dak getting yeah. off to a hot start but they were like one and four or something well, like the that the defense was bad for whatever reason the defense was ultra talented and did not play well and then they had that comeback win against the Giants with Andy Dalton. That's what it was. Where they were about to lose the Giants and be 1-4, and four, and then Dak got injured and Andy Dalton somehow came in and brought him on a comeback, and everyone was like, Cowboys season saved. Nope. Are the Cowboys the ones with like the 30-year-old offensive coordinator, too? Low-key. Kellen yeah. Moore? Yeah, yeah. Kellen Moore's their offensive coordinator? Yeah. He was their backup like two seasons ago. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? What? Coordinator, dude. dude, he used to be nasty, too, at Boise State. Oh, <laughs> really? he was so good. At Boise State, Kellen Moore. Really what? I didn't watch college football back yes, in the day. Yes, dude, dude, dude. You don't know that he goes there, but you remember that Boise, yeah, when State, Boise State team? Yeah, Boise State was filthy. He was their guy. He was their guy. Okay, okay. He was the guy. I didn't know that he was their yeah. guy. I know that He Boise was the State, reason why Boise State was huge. I didn't watch college football like that back there, but yeah, he's, yeah. he's got to be, what, 32? Like... Dude, that's crazy. He's younger than, than half that team. You want, like, a wild throwback Boise State? This is such a classic example. But I remember, like, being out in California growing up, seven, eight years old. Boise State, undefeated, number four or three team in the country, okay? And one of those top two teams had lost. So this was, like, before the college football playoff where it was, like, only the top two teams would play in the national championship. So all Boise State had to do was win their championship game with Kellen Moore to get to, like, the college football championship, BCS championship, would have been huge, bro. They match up against Nevada and Colin Kaepernick, take a crazy L at the end of the game, yeah. and then fall to, like, six or seven and aren't even in contention. Yeah, Nevada Nevada won, like, a field goal at the last second or something, yeah. I remember yeah. it was everywhere. And then everyone was, like, no one realized it until Colin Kaepernick got to the NFL, and they were like, oh, you were on that Nevada team. that team. Really quickly... If we're going to talk about Bill Belichick possibly being on the hot seat, I know this is a slight, like, really completely different scenario, but similar coach. Do you think there's any shot that Pete Carroll 
continue? I know his seat's been warm a little bit over the offseason, but do you think if that relationship really starts to break down with Russell Wilson, if I'm the Seahawks, I'm keeping Russell Wilson over Pete Carroll 10 times out of 10. They've been good as well. I think they went 12-4 and four last year, but I think that the relationship there, if that if that's souring, Pete Carroll might be on his way up. I think it would be more of one of those like uh... – like a, oh the Seahawks and Pete Carroll agreed to mutually part ways, okay. where it's like oh Pete this isn't really going anywhere anymore, and Pete's like I'm old, I'm done. It's not gonna be like a firing. How old is he? He's seventy as well. Jeez. Yeah, he's the oldest coach in the NFL. Drew, I think he Loki yeah. is on the hot seat. Like Russell Wilson came out this off season, and was like. Hey, I don't want to be traded, but if I were to get traded, these would be the four teams, which is basically saying that I want to get traded and I don't like what's happening there. And there was, like, very clear disagreements between, like, how they've wanted to run the offense over the past couple of years. And I feel like it's played out the same way every single year, which is that, like, for the first four to eight weeks, it's let Russ cook. Let Russ cook, okay? And Russell Wilson starts throwing a bunch of touchdowns, and he's in the MVP discussion. And then all of a sudden, he has a bad game or two. Maybe he's injured. Maybe he throws a couple picks. All of a sudden, Pete Carroll loses confidence in letting Russ cook, starts to restrain him, restrain the offense. The Seahawks cool down. Russell Wilson doesn't get a single MVP vote. And then they lose in the playoffs. And it's like, if you're Russell Wilson, if you're Russell Wilson, I feel like there's going to be a point where you've had enough. And to see that friction come up so publicly last year, it feels like things are on the fritz. It's like with Aaron Rodgers, like, it's coming up. It's been happening. There's been issues for a year or two now. So the tension's starting to build. I think Seahawks and Russell Wilson are in like the early stages of this tension starting to build. Brady and the Patriots esque, where a couple years ago, 2017, there's pressure. Brady wants some things to go differently. He wants a new contract. It's just like the second that pressure and that friction starts to happen, I think it just means bad things, especially if you have a mega talented quarterback. The fact that. He- He's 70 and getting up there in age is is huge as well because of that means what he's got four or five years left maximum before he's going to want to retire anyway and Russell Wilson is coming near 30 so let's say he's got 10 years left of his career do you really want to split it between two coaches or do you want to get you know maybe a, a great coach in the next couple of years so that for the next seven eight of Russell Wilson's career you've got him locked down and a couple and, and you know that those keys in place. Pete Carroll is getting up there in age. The one thing that I just question is, like, how much does the Seahawks ownership trust Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson? Because he's been there a while. He's drafted a lot of players. He's built a good defense. They've been a winning football team every single year. And so it is a lot to move on from this coach who has literally brought you to relevancy. Well, this is a Suns podcast. Has been a Suns podcast. The Suns are still hot. Suns in four in the finals. Right here first. (laughs) But they got to get past the Clippers. And Paul George, I have been super impressed by. Damien, you made this point last week where Kawhi Leonard just like got hurt, disappeared, and no one's heard of him since, and nothing's come out. Paul George has been absolute baller. I think last three or four years, especially since George went to Oklahoma City, I think... In Indiana, he had this reputation of playing really well in the playoffs, being a great player. He'd gone up against LeBron. He was great defensively. He was carrying teams. No one questioned whether Paul George was going to show up in the playoffs. 
all of a sudden, Oklahoma City, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, they really can't get it done. The expectations were there. And I think people started to wonder, like, where is playoff Paul George? Does he exist? LA Clippers, disappointing last year. This narrative was starting to form that, like, Paul George can't get it done in the playoffs. And I think that's over. Like, just watching him carry this team without Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers don't win a chip, and I don't think they're going to. It's on Kawhi, and, like, people got to stop hating on Paul George because it's literally him by himself carrying a team to the Western Conference Finals that nobody thought would be relevant if you told me Kawhi Leonard was just gone. Well, yeah, Kawhi well, was there at the beginning of the playoffs. Though. Yeah, also, yeah, we can't forget about p- Playoff P because Playoff PU was more like the thing. He smelled horrible. He was smelly all these playoffs. He was not good. He hit the side of the backboard against Dallas last year. We cannot forget about that. We cannot forget about the duds that he put up in OKC. But he is balling out right now, and he is putting the team on his back. He's had huge performances recently. But don't sleep on my boy Terrence Mann, Lowell native. Really? Tried and true. Yeah, grew That's up in Lowell. Fire. So he's, uh, he's balling out right now as well for the Clippers. But, yeah, I think Paul George has been super impressive. But big game tonight, 9 o'clock, Suns, Clippers. Suns have a chance to go to the finals, punch their ticket. Big game for this is a this is a career defining game for Chris Paul. This is the biggest game of Chris Paul's career. It's the closest he's ever gotten to the finals, and he has a chance to do something he's never done before. And Devin Booker shows up, DeAndre Ayton shows up. It's a dub for these boys. Suns podcast. Let's go. Suns at four in the finals. Is it game five or six tonight? Game six tonight. Dude, I honestly have not been watching the playoffs. Like I just don't care anymore. Like. <laughs> It's been such a long and drawn-out playoffs with everyone getting hurt left and right. I swear. I don't know why I just don't. Like, I haven't watched any of the conference finals, I think. I just don't care in the slightest. Drew, I've been, like, pretty tuned out, too, which is bad podcasting, not doing our research. But, like, I think the injuries have played a big part of it. If you just even look at this hawks Bucks series right now, Giannis injured, Trey Young injured, what are we watching? We're watching Chris Middleton go at, like, Danilo Gallinari. Like, Cam Reddish. Yo, don't sleep on Cam Reddish now. Don't sleep on Cam Reddish. We're sleeping. <sighs> yeah, wake up. Cam Reddish and Lou Williams about to have the Hawks in the finals. John Collins. That team's buzzing right now. Clint Capella. Oh, the boys. I'm telling you, the Hawks and the Suns finals, the most electric final series. NBA finals is have. giving me sleep apnea. <laughs> That's not what sleep apnea is. Yeah, it is, Do you know dude. what sleep apnea is? Yeah, it's where you can't sleep because you snore. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. the opposite of what you just said. I'm getting sleep apnea. So you're so awake that you're tuned into this finals potential matchup because you can't sleep. Oh shit! Yeah, you blew it. I have sleep apnea. <laughs> sleep apnea. This guy. Well, very abbreviated NBA section. Not much to talk about there. Suns podcast, go Suns, Suns Hawks would be electric. Hangtime headlines, as always, like, comment, subscribe, follow us on YouTube. We're out. Thank you. Adios. Peace. Balling crazy with the hangtime.